Revolutionary Talk for Revolutionary Times. Liberty Talk FM. What's up, everybody? This is the Sporting Edge. I'm here with Roz. And Roz, we had a beatdown at the UFC main event this weekend. John Jones did exactly what I said he was going to do. And Daniel, dazed and confused, Cormier, did exactly what I said he was going to do, too. Cried like a little baby. And I'm not going to, you know, not going to crap on him. He came out, apologized. I'm glad you saw that. So I'm, you know, just like John Jones, I'm gonna I'm gonna handle this victory with um, some integrity, some dignity. Uh, I I was happier with the almost happier with the way John Jones handled the victory than the victory itself because it kind of showed you just kind of a bigger than sports thing how far a guy can fall who is at the top and how long it takes him to get back to the top and that is exactly what I saw with John Jones. You know, two years ago, this was a was a guy who was at the top of the USC world, fighting world. Um, the light heavyweight champion of the world was considered the best pound-for-pound pound fighter in the world at any weight class. And then, you know, some drug trouble, failing, you know, to do a fight with Daniel Cormier, which was supposed to be the second fight, some run-ins with the law, and you saw how low a guy could get and worked himself all the way back up to a championship fight with the guy who was... The title holder at the time, Daniel Cormier, held the belt. A lot of people didn't really see him as the true champion because he never beat John Jones. So this was kind of really a you know an end all be all fight with the winner. I would say being the true champion and John Jones. Um, you know what? Through the first couple rounds, I was a little worried. I thought this was going to be a beatdown. I mean, he from, even admitted that he was a little yeah. caught off guard the first couple he, rounds. He I, said it was a better fight than the first time. I, I I do think it was a much better fight. I mean, if you watch the first fight, it was a decision, but it it, it really wasn't that close. Um, but you know, you look at the first couple rounds. I almost a lot of people said that Daniel Cormier actually won those two rounds, and I did not disagree. I mean, from the from the very early onset with him knocking John Jones Mothguard out. You know, it kind of got me worried a little bit. You know, John Jones is kind of towers over Cormier and has an enormous reach advantage, but really couldn't seem to get anything going. And you know what? The thing about UFC and fighting, just 
like animals is only takes one hit and you saw that. And that kind of happens in multiple sports where just one thing can happen and I, that kick, there was nothing you can do. Right. I mean, and it was over when the kick connected and you saw it when he stumbled back towards the I fence. mean, I, I think most people watching that fight, you could see the minute that John Jones' foot left Daniel Cormier's head. I mean, he was just about half of himself and was stunned and that was all it took. Um, you know, the rest they say is history, but... I think the funniest thing about it is before their first matchup, Daniel Cormier, they were talking shit back and forth, and he was talking about you know tendencies of John Jones, and they were going back and forth. And Cormier said something like, you know, yeah, we all know you know you love to kick with your left leg. Like I'm not going to fall for that. And it's funny two years later that that was the shot that put him Deciding out. Deciding factor. Um, but yeah, at the, at the time when he got knocked out. And, you know, wouldn't go for the post-fight handshake and whatnot. I, I was kind of happy, you know, I said I said DC was kind of a little bitch. Um, but you know what? I got to I gotta lay off a little bit. He did just get, you know, Pumped. absolutely concussed. I, I don't think he understood where he was. Yeah, I, he, and it, he and a fighter did. had so much. So with the concussion comes the adrenaline. And I think he was, you never want to give up a fight. You never want to be told you can't go. But in that apology... That he issued later, he mentioned like, "Wow, the ref did give him the." I mean, honestly, the ref gave him way too much time. Yeah, you know, and the ref, he was getting John McCarthy, on. even tweeted out that he probably stopped the fight a little bit too late, a little bit late. But the hammer I, punches I, were absurd. I was okay with it. Um, you know, I saw I saw the kick, and I, I saw that DC was was pretty dazed. <laughs> it doesn't mean that you know he was automatically out of this fight, but most fighters cannot come back from that. He got on the ground. John Jones landed a couple shots on his head, and it looked to me like DC was attempting to defend himself, um, you know, kind of crawl up into a ball, and I thought at that moment, you know, I wanted to see the fight keep going, because just knowing, just knowing DC, he's such a competitor, you know, I could have figured maybe if he could have, you know, just defended himself a little bit more, he could have gotten out of the round, but couple shots to the back of the head from John Jones, who's one of the best strikers, I think, in yeah. UFC, regardless of being the best fighter. And it was over from there. Um, but, yeah, so much emotion, such a big rivalry, and such a big disappointment for Daniel Cormier that it would, it's hard to describe, you know, even as a guy who's not a fan of him. You know, I was, I'm kind of a fan of John Jones. It was kind of tough to watch the end of that fight for him. Um, but I do appreciate him coming out, apologizing, uh, congratulating John Jones, and like I said before, I appreciate John Jones. You know, he could have taken that mic and absolutely went to town on Daniel Cormier. This is it was a huge rematch, the fight of both of their lives, um, and John Jones came up and knocked the crap out of him. Um, but he didn't. Kind of took the high road. Said Daniel Cormier, you know, is basically everything we all aspire to be. We happen to be opponents tonight, but you know, that's not the end of the world. Um, did the mic drop about Brock Lesnar? I think was the most staged thing I've ever. Well, I think seen. it's just become that way in both it, UFC and that boxing. Thing, but like this, I fight, mean, Joe Horn asked for Mayweather, right? But I thought this fight was so much bigger than like the possible Lesnar Jones matchup down the road, which I'd heard about before. Yeah, but could you imagine Jones beating Lesnar? I mean, the size differential I, is just absurd. I think he'd be the favorite in the fight. Honestly, I don't think he would be because of size and everything. I think he could. He'd probably be a little more agile than Lesnar. But like, yeah. if Lesnar got him to the ground, there's not much he's going to be able to do. Not there's not much. I just think John Jones is, is such a. So that's where the striking player. would really need to come into play. I mean, because even in the first matchup between him and Cormier, like Cormier's, you know, an Olympic caliber wrestler, and I think John Jones out wrestled him. Um, but you know, regardless of the fact, it was an exciting fight night. Oh yeah. Um, except except for Woodley. Like, 
Tyron Woodley, that was... And I'm happy Dana White's calling him out. I don't care what... I don't want Woodley to receive an apology from White either. White doesn't even want him to fight anymore. That was weak. It it was weak. Weak, soft. That's not a champion. That's a guy defending... Like, he wasn't even defending in the right way. You know what? It it was disappointing to see, like... I think he fought a better fight. I'm not going to say I like the way he did it. He definitely deserved a win, but... It wasn't exciting. I didn't see that. Just jogging it was around. kind of a cold, calculated. They set the record for fewest punches. Few, yeah, sixty-six yeah, punches, that. and the other one was triple digits was the lowest number. So sixty-six punches it was. I, I just didn't see anything from Tyron Woodley that you know I'm the champion. I'm going to knock this guy out. Um, I have to give him credit though. He's the best takedown defender in the UFC. That um, was pretty impressive. It was to impressive a that he. I think was. Damian Maya was like 0 for 25, something like that. It probably exceeded a little um, more because of his last stretch. Right. And, and that's, you know, Tyron Woodley's takedown percentage before the fight, or defense percentage was 92.5%, which is pretty insane anyways. But then holding your opponent 0 for 25 um, was even better. But like I said, the fight was too defensive for me. I didn't oh, see that. Too much sliding around, too much right. jogging around. The- I want to see the champion go out and knock some heads off. That's what I want to And especially see. since that's his thing, that he's right. a physical specimen that's going to knock your head off. And he didn't do it. I thought the fight night was overall really really impressive. I thought the women's fight was Christy, great. Yeah, Cyborg was Cyborg fun to watch. looked great as well. But we're getting close to August 26th, and McGregor is our next target. But we'll get back to that in a second. We will come back after the break better than ever. So stay tuned and follow us on our social media, everybody. What's up? What's up, everybody? We are back. And as I said, we would be back better than ever. McGregor's coming up. And you know what? I'm seeing some things that I I was wrong about DC. And it's unfortunate. But he did come out giving a better fight than he did in the first round. But McGregor, I'm still... 1,000% 1,000% on. All my money is still in that horse, and I know he's going to come out there and knock out Mayweather. But what has been really reassuring to me is I know there are tons of bars in the city, as I was down shooting a movie today around the city area, and a lot of bars have the face of McGregor all over it. They're UFC bars. They're Team UFC. And you know what? I'm going to ride with those people, because I think the more people supporting Mayweather, the better. Not Mayweather. Woof. That was a, that was a bad slip. McGregor, the two M's is really the issue here. They need one name needs to switch up a little bit. But anyways, more people riding McGregor, the better. I think he's well, going to come out. Not if you're a betting man. Well, everyone. I mean, everybody's great at betting. McGregor. That's actually an interesting thing. So I understand Vegas would have to adjust yeah. to that. But like, would they? I mean, Mayweather is a favorite because it's his sport, and there's no shot that. Like, well, the idea is there's no shot McGregor could beat him. Well, I mean, the lines, so the lines, off, the lines so set up where they can make their money off the okay. spread. So. Well, they better know they're paying me. But that's enough. We're going to get to McGregor. Well, said the same thing about DC. Yeah, I didn't win happen. that one. I'm going to have to go on the other side for this one, too. That's I'm, fine. I'm really excited. I don't want you. I, I, don't, I don't need you. I already picked, Whatever. I picked the champion. I, I, don't, I don't need you. I'm yet. over you. And anyways, we're going to get back to it. August 26th, so we'll have a show before then that will we really cover three it. Three weeks away? About three weeks away. Maybe a little bit less. But we have Major League Baseball trades that were pretty big and kind of planned out. Like, you knew they were coming. It's just how long were these think, teams going to hold out for? Yeah, I, I think we knew a lot of contending teams were going to make moves. I wasn't quite sure where. But I think one of the biggest trades for me to start off with was you Darvish going to the Dodgers. He, you know, he tweeted a picture of himself. Who's a, what's a you Darvish? Who's a you Darvish? 
How is a U Darvish? Uh, a U Darvish is going to help the Dodgers, I think. Uh, ten run, ten in runs after he bashed the Cubs. We, it's our turn it to came, send some curses came, out there. It came out after the ten run debacle that Darvish was tipping his pitches, something that he's never done before. So I throw away the ten run debacle. I want to see how he pitches the rest of the year, but he is going to the National League where we don't have a DH anymore. He have the pitching slot, which is hitting I saw on average about one twenty. So I mean. Going from the AL to the NL, I think, is a big deal. Well, I always thought that argument was legit, that it's it, easier it to is. come to the yeah. NL. Well, I mean, you're basically facing, you know, 13% less hitters. No, yeah. yeah. Um, but anyways, I thought this was a great move for the Dodgers. I they mean, still don't lose. They're the hot, I mean, they're the hottest team in baseball they have been all year, but, you know, it's all about the playoffs. What are you going to do in the playoffs? And, you know, we've seen they do have, I think Clayton Kershaw is the best pitcher in baseball. I know he's hurt right now, but you know you take. I a don't look. disagree. I yeah, think he's, I, I think he's by far. I think he is too. But the one area where he really hasn't excelled and really he's hasn't pitched up to is the postseason, and that is what the Dodgers are going to need from him to win the World Series. Because you're not if you're losing games that Clayton Kershaw starts in the playoffs, you're not winning if you're the Dodgers. No, because and I think the same goes for you, Darvish, and that's why they traded for him. I think they plan not to lose his games, and then, like we said, the rest of the rotation is pretty solid. Right. I mean, I mean Alex Wood having, his Wood having an, an amazing year, but you think about the playoffs, the rotations really shrink down. I mean, you're not throwing out five-man rotations out three, there. It's usually three, three. You know, you're going with your best guys. Um, and you talk about Clayton Kershaw. I wouldn't say he's been bad in the playoffs, but has not been pitching to the caliber that he is as a player. And you know what? I hope that changes. I mean, I love Clayton Kershaw, and I know he's hurt right now, but I think he'll be fresh. I think he'll be ready to go for the postseason. Um, but, yeah, really interested to see what you Darvish brings to this team. I mean, because there's, there's not much better that they could be doing for themselves no. right now. But It's good that he's coming in while Kershaw's out so that he'll get an opportunity right. to be filling that ace role. But, I want to talk about Sonny Gray here in a second, but I want to talk about a team that didn't make a move that was kind of surprising to me, and that's the Houston Astros. And if you've been paying attention, they are struggling. The Astros have been giving up runs left and right. In fact, they've lost their last three. They're two of their last – they've won two of their last ten, actually. Right. I, it's been I a tough stretch. I completely agree, and you've seen it. I mean, I've been watching – tuning into MLB Network a little more over the past couple of weeks – um, and basically, everybody's dis- biggest disappointment has been the Astros. I mean, they really made one move. Uh, I think it was getting Francisco Lariano from the Blue Jays, who at this point in his career is nowhere near that you know guy who we saw with the Pittsburgh Pirates, I think no. it was like eight years ago. Um, Sonny Gray really should have been their approach. I, I think it should have been. I mean, there's a couple big pitchers on this market that could have been gone after, and that's what I really applaud the Yankees for doing is going and getting – a Sonny Gray, who is having a pretty good year. I mean, pitching yeah. to a 3-2 ERA, um, solid, playing on a team that isn't going anywhere, is looking to sell, um, and the Yankees go out and buy. They also get Jaime Garcia, who I'm not, not too high on him, but they need a fifth rotation. guy in the rotation right. I mean, for the rest of any, this season. Anything to try and get things done, but the Houston Astros, I mean, you look at the injuries near the top of the rotation, guys not performing well, um, you know, Lance McCullers, D.L., uh, Colin McHugh not pitching great as of late. Uh, so, I mean, Dallas Keuchel, you're not going to win with a one-man rotation in the playoffs. I don't care who you are. And the Houston Astros, you know, with Carlos Correa out as well. I just didn't there, – there was a lot Their of opportunity. The pool is deep too, which is what I didn't right. understand. There's a lot of opportunity there, and 
nothing happened, which I think this is the point. You see a team like the Yankees go out and get Sonny Gray. You see a team like the Dodgers go out and get you Darvish. You see the Cubs go out and get you know a good reliever in Justin Wilson. Uh, you see all these teams making moves. You see the Red Sox go out and get Addison Reed, who I think is, is a huge benefit to that team as an eighth-inning guy with him and Craig Kimbrell. So you, you got all these big teams making moves in the Houston Astros, I think, although they have a huge lead in their division right now. I mean, the regular season is is completely different animal than the postseason. Absolutely, and that's where it'll come into play. Uh, the Cubs, it was an interesting move. I mean, I think Wilson Contreras, who, again, has just been on an absolute tear. Mm-hmm. It'll be nice because it is a little bit of an insurance case. He does run into injuries or he needs some days off, which right. every player does need. So I think Avia was a good signing as well as getting Wilson in the bullpen because you'd like the idea of going Edwards, Wilson, Davis. Right, and, and, I, and I think the fact that they got another lefty reliever is yeah. big. Um, I think the only one was Brian Dunsing and then Mike Montgomery, I guess, you know. Now that he's moved back down to the pen, yeah. Right, but you know, I think getting another good young lefty arm, uh, it'll serve this team well. I mean, you know, we're talking about right now they're very hot since the All Star. They've got a big series this weekend against the Nationals. Struggled a little bit against the Diamondbacks, came out hot, and then kind of went score. They got shut out, and then an unbelievable game. Paul Goldschmidt three home runs in one game. I mean, that's one of the most absurd. And that's just how it goes. And so they need to come out, and they need. To, I think they need to win this series against the Nationals. I think they need to make a statement in the NL outside of the Central. Um, it's big. I mean, I'm still sipping that Kool Aid, and I don't even. I'm still chugging that Kool Aid. So yeah, I mean, I think it's a lot easier to drink now. Um, you look at the Brewers, who are, I would say, more or less coming into form as a team who is not as good as we originally thought, and the Cubs are starting to perform like the team that we thought that they were. And, you know, you look at some other teams. A team I'm actually really worried about is the Washington Nationals. Um, you know, you look at Steven Strasburg injured again. Scherzer coming up Scherzer with a neck pain. With a neck pain after a home run. I'm not necessarily that worried about Scherzer, but you look at a guy like Strasburg, I don't know if he can ever tell me that you're totally confident with him going into the postseason. You look at his, his history of being injured um, and just basically not being there when it really counts – but yeah. I think they got their third guy there also, though. Gio Gonzalez has been fantastic. Had a no-hater going into the ninth in his last outing. I, I just don't know if Gio Gonzalez, if, if those three are enough to get you through. I know they made some good additions to their bullpen, um, getting a couple guys from the A's. But I just the Nationals are a team that scares me. They, they you know, I kind of well, if their hitting them. isn't there, they're in absolute trouble. Right, but you know the the thing about hitting. You know, in the playoffs, is it comes and goes. I yeah. mean, you, you don't. It'd see, be like Daniel Murphy at seven and seven right. games. And, and you, you know, the run lines, or excuse me, the run totals. You'll see during the regular season, it'll be seven and a half. They'll be eight. They'll be nine. They might be ten at Coors Field. Come playoff time, those totals are you know five, four and a half. I mean, teams are really not because you your ace is right, coming I mean, out of the mouth. Everybody's on high alert. It's a, it's a it's a game that is won with pitching and defense. No matter how good of a hitting lineup you have. The Nationals are a team that scares me because they just strike me as a team that doesn't get it done when it really counts. And obviously, the regular season and playoffs, I mean, they've been playing with a huge cushion all year, basically. You know, they've had a huge lead in their division, not really much to compete with, and they've been playing well, but they've also had a few key injuries, Trey Turner, Adam Eaton. So they're a team I worry about going into the postseason right now. Yeah, I agree. But the postseason will be absolutely fantastic. If yes, the Cubs do hold on to make it, I think those teams in the NL are fantastic. And I think the AL will put on a show, too, with the Yankees really emerging 
the way they are. But that's all the time we have this segment, everybody. This is the Sporting Edge of Liberty Talk.fm, and we will be back after the break, everybody. What's up, everybody? Bubba here. It's finally here. The long-awaited Bubba Report, bringing you news from all the trading floors across the globe. We've got Scott Chalady, the cow guy, as seen on CNBC, Fox, and Bloomberg. We've got Keith Bliss, CNBC, Fox, and a floor trader at the New York Stock Exchange. We've got the Badger, who writes the hot topics in the political news. We've got myself putting together my own unique indexes that will help you give you a better idea of what's going on in the market. All you need to do to get a hold of the Bubba Report is go to the Bubbashow.org and sign up for the newsletter, or you can email me direct at Bubba at the Bubbashow.org. We want you to have this report because we've got over 150 years of experience talking about markets, getting ready for the trading, and puts you in the best position to have successful. So email me at Bub at the to get a copy of your report or go right to the website, the Make sure you get it. It's a must-have for every investor and trader. The Bubba Report. What's up? What's up, everybody? We are back, and we are doing our next round of fantasy preparation for you guys, and we're covering the wide receiver position, and arguably the position that has grown the most in fantasy football over the last decade, because points per catch is, or points per reception is becoming huge. I know in our league we do a point or half a point PPR, which right. I don't mind. I would love the full point. I've played in leagues with full point. I just think it's fun to see the scores really rise, but. That's not the case, and that's where I think the wide receiver becomes the most valued asset in a fantasy draft. So I I think I'm changing the mold. I made jokes that I had to fire my internal coach from last year and hire somebody new as I approached my 2017-2018 fantasy draft. And if I don't have the top two picks, I think I have to go wide receiver. I think I've come to the conclusion I think David Johnson and Le'Veon Bell are the consensus one-two. Yeah. But it's time to go on Antonio Brown, Odell Beckham, or Julio Jones. And I think that's the interesting conversation to have. I mean, a lot changes over the course of a season and a year. So Julio Jones will be in a whole new offense this coming season. Antonio Brown in the right place, but with an aging quarterback. And I guess you can say the same for Odell Beckham. I just have more concern in terms of durability with Peyton, or not Peyton, with Ben Ben Roethlisberger than I do Eli Manning because of Eli Manning's current stretch of not missing games. So, I get a little worried, but I still think Antonio Brown's the one. I do as well. Um, he, he's so dynamic. You know, Odell Beckham, I think, you know... Really came on, by the way, in the second. His numbers are very, very impressive. Right. And it I was a slow think, start people were upset about because of how high he was drafted last year. Right. And he, he did really come on in the second half of the year. Um, I had him in one of my leagues, and obviously, that that's the thing with wide receivers. They can be frustrating. Yeah, the guy can have a great season, but he will put up a couple weeks of three or four points, and you really hope they don't come up in the postseason, right? And, and you know that's you know kind of just the give and take. But that that's why I do like you know if I had the first two picks, I probably would go you know David Johnson, Le'Veon Bell, just because as a running back you are you're basically guaranteed a certain amount of touches, and obviously the more opportunities you touch the ball, the more points you're going to score. Um, so I would say a little safer on that route, but you know Antonio Brown. I think in terms of being able to do it all on the field is the best. You know, Ben Roethlisberger, like you said, has been getting old. But to me, he's kind of been getting old for a while now. And, you know, my thing is... It's his head in it, though. There's just the talks of retirement, the talks of the CTE, 
The top, like <laughs> the CT, it comes up everywhere now. It's I know, and he's concerned. So it's he just, might both have CT. We could. Know. I mean, we played high they school. Talk about Forty percent of high school kids yeah. are going to have it, but I don't know. I I think Antonio Brown is spoken for. If, if Roethlisberger's not on the field, he has not scored a touchdown from any other quarterback in the NFL. Right. And I know he's been on one team, and I know that there's probably only been two or three backups, but he hasn't scored. And his production is way down. Cause they, and that's that's always been the interesting thing for me in fantasy. And this is why it's tough to draft receivers on teams that don't have quarterbacks. Like When the backup comes in or you have a bad quarterback, why are you not going to your number one every time? Because if you suck anyways, it's not going to be better trying to throw to a, a third like receiver that you think is being guarded by somebody less spectacular. I mean, right. give it up, like for example, like Julio Jones, if you have him. If you put the ball anywhere near him, he's going to make a play on it. I agree. There, there's some guys who I think, no matter how well you think you can cover them, they're just they're almost too good to not, you know, be able to overcome that. I think the perfect guy for me was Calvin Johnson. I think yeah. probably probably relative to the time, probably can cover best, a whole garage. Probably the best fantasy receiver I've ever seen. Ever. Um, Matthew Stafford. It was Matthew Stafford's favorite weapon because he could literally throw the ball up in triple coverage, and Calvin Johnson would have a decent shot of coming down with the ball. And had, had come down with a couple through came triple down coverage. With, with plenty of them, so he was always the number one for me. Julio Jones, I think. There's a lot of risk with Julio. I, always Julio Jones, hurt. to me, is kind of a poor man's Calvin Johnson, and I don't say that with any disrespect about his about his talent but because I think he's one of the best I think he is one of the best talents but one of the things I worry about first with Julio Jones is injury the foot is just lingering the guy is a physical specimen but it always concerns of you know it's turf toe it's a hamstring it's a quad and that you know those those are the kinds of injuries that you get during the season and they don't get better because you don't rest and if you're a top player like him you're always going to be you're always going to want to be out on the field so Julio Jones this year, honestly, I think I would I would sell high and, and not take him. I, I would let other people step up and take the risk because I think there's a little more value down the road with a couple guys. I'd almost rather pick ten than you know pick five and be forced to take Julio Jones because I just don't think the upside is there. I think, but the overall risk um, I think is too much for me. And I much honestly, I like Odell Beckham a lot better. I just think I agree. Eli Manning. He's a reception like machine, too. Which a reception Julio, machine. Julio's more of big and, yardage. And I think Odell Beckham is probably the most explosive wide receiver in the NFL. You know, Antonio Brown, probably the most agile, versatile. But I think Odell Beckham is that guy who can catch a slant route and 60 yards later he's in the end zone. He just has that kind of talent. Eli Manning has basically like been the same player for the past, you know, 10 years. Has had a great few years with Ben McAdoo as the offensive coordinator and taking over for a head coach last year. I see no reason why Odell Beckham doesn't, you know, have number one wide receiver production. And honestly, he's my favorite receiver in this draft. It's tough to say over Antonio Brown, but like you said, I do worry about Roethlisberger. But I don't think you can really go wrong here. But you know, the second tier, I think for me, it gets interesting. Can I make a point about the second tier that I'm very excited to announce for the fifth? Straight year in fantasy football. And top 20 wide receivers, the Packers, Jordy Nelson. have had two. Two. And it's a new guy this year. Devontae Adams has crept into the top Is 20. Is Cobb not in the top 20? He's year? not in the top 20, and Cobb had a very, very down year last year. He but did. Cobb had been in that rotation of being in the top. We had Greg Jennings and Jordy Nelson. We had Jordy Nelson and Devontae Adams now. So I'm very excited. But about the second tier, 
And I know everyone gets worried about injuries, but I think medicine these days and surgeries and the way players have been coming back from these injuries. <laughs> Who are you trying to sell? Who are you trying to make a case for? I think A.J. Green was on pace to have his best statistical season of his career last year. He was. And I think A.J. Green, if he were to slip, to, like that's where maybe 10 gets interesting. Because I think Mike Evans goes before A.J. Green right now. And I think... Like I, I think, like we preach, he should. I agree. Like I preach the Winston train that I'm on. I think Mike Evans is going to have a breakout, like well, top I, maybe top one two wide receiver. He was top three last year, so, so make it even more. Get, get I mean, to number Mike one. Mike Evans. I think it's always interesting case when you think about a team. You know, does adding a really good second receiver help or I hurt? I think the it's super influential. I think it is too. I, I would love to see some numbers because I've always thought. You know, better guys are guarding that second guy now, too, and the number one guy is going to get open more. But, I mean, it's it's hard to imagine Mike Evans could have a season better than he had last year because it was, it was unbelievable. Um, but, you know, you look at the addition of O.J. Howard, Deshaun Jackson, it just it seems like this should be another sick year for Mike Evans because I, I don't I really agree. see... And I think they added talent in Cincinnati as well, which was right. their game plan. And I think you actually, there you go. I think last year, that's when they started adding, or adding, they brought Mohamed Sanu in, and right. AJ Green was really left more open. He was more one on one. And that's what you want to get from these guys. You right. don't want the double and, and coverage. The thing about a number one wide receiver in fantasy is you don't need a top tier quarterback throwing in the ball. You just need a guy who can. Put up average numbers. I mean, Andy Dalton by no means is, I would say, a, you know, a top quarterback in the league. And I league. completely reverse it, by the way. It was Mohamed Sanu went to <laughs> the Atlanta Falcons oh. and Julio Jones had so the year. Point, point taken, but though. The Bengals so. did bring in other talent to assist with And they also with had Tyler Green. Eifert, who yeah. I think, and this will be next week, but could be in the top five fantasy tight ends by the end of the year, if healthy. He's um, one of those injuries. Which brings me up to my next point. Another guy I think I'm going to stay away from this year, even though I hate to do it, is T.Y. Hilton. I always do. T.Y. Hilton is flashy enough and a big enough name for me to like. You know what? Especially in the first round. I don't know if I could take him in the first round, but I think he definitely is a probably top thirteen or fourteen, top fifteen player. I would say in terms of upside value. Would you take him in the second round if you say you have? I don't coming back. You're the back end of the second round. Back end, I, I just don't. I don't really like him that much. Neither do I. I, I think don't he's like, like take, a third or fourth round. I don't guy like taking guys who get injured more often than not because and, it, it's and such also a with Lux injury me. concerns. I mean, I he's hurt I, right now in the preseason, so right. that's just, and it's really t- they never have a backup. The, the, the there. games when I regret it the most is T. Y. Hilton is the perfect guy who puts up a game of like 19 catches for 250 and three touchdowns. Like he'll do that a couple times a year, but. I, I don't like the risk. I, I'm more of a risk-averse drafter. I would much rather take a guy who has notoriously been safer, a la Frank Gore, um, than a guy And that's who your is, guy in Indianapolis. And he might be the most sturdy guy in Indianapolis. I mean, you look at you look at his entire career, he might be the most consistent fantasy player of all time. Not the best, most consistent. Yeah. I mean, he's been around for a lot of those running back changes. I mean, I think Frank Gore was there when LT was still dominating. Right. I mean, Frank Gore is just one of those consistent people. But we're talking wide receivers. And me and you agree on the T.Y. Hilton, and I just thought it would be interesting to talk about Mike Evans and A.J. Green. I think they're both really that next tier if they're not I, I in the top I don't think you can tier. go wrong with that. I don't think you can. I, and if they slip to you at the end of the first round, I think you can sleep easy after your draft. But that's all the time we have this segment, everybody. We'll be back with more wide receiver talk. i got to get my Packers on the board. Haven't talked about one since Aaron Rodgers two weeks ago. We'll be back after the break, everyone. This is the Sporting Edge on LibertyTalk.fm.
What's up, what's up, everybody? We are back, and I get to talk about the Green Bay Packers. And there's nothing that makes me happier in the world than talking about my Packers. So there is the concern this year. We brought in Martellus Bennett. Devontae Adams is clearly moving up. And there's the idea that Randall Cobb really cannot have the type of year he had last year. But I'm not totally concerned in terms of Jordy Nelson's success this year. Still the number one red zone target for Aaron Rodgers. They have built-in plays that nobody else on the team understands. That's the ticket for me for Jordy Nelson. When the when the ball is inside the twenty yard line, he is the first guy Aaron, Aaron Rodgers, Rodgers looking to. And it's the ability that he never gives up on the play. And I don't know how much you watch Packer games, and if you don't watch the Packers, you're not going to understand this. But Jordy Nelson in the red zone runs his route sees where the defender's looking, and then sticks his hand out. Almost like, here, I'm going to be open now. And Aaron Rodgers reads that better than anybody else, and it's a touchdown. He led the league in touchdowns last year, receiving touchdowns. I don't have any worry about him, because Jared Cook, who was a dynamic tight end, wasn't the red zone presence we thought. Was he great when we needed him? Absolutely. And I think Martellus Bennett's going to be better than that. I would say Devontae Adams' stats might decrease a little bit. I think he... He can't catch the ball. He couldn't catch the ball. He His drops significantly decreased at the end of last season. I really like him. Um, I Trust me, Xander, the drop pa- I, I know a lot of drop balls he had, and it was it was tough being a Packer fan at that time. But I would take Devontae Adams in the fourth, fifth round, but I don't think it makes, he, I don't think he'll make it to me there. Really? I, I think tough. he goes early. And I think we're in a Chicago draft, so you know what? Maybe I do get lucky, and you, none of you guys take him. I, I think I'm kind of on the other side of that. I think that's tough to take him that early because I like I agree with you about Dirty Nelson being a top-flight you know, top target, but I kind of wonder about you know Randall Cobb and Devontae Adams. You really, you really don't know for certain who's going to get the lion's share of the number two targets. So it's I, definitely tough. In I think it's a risk. It's a huge risk. I mean, you might, you might be better off, you know, waiting till round eight and snagging Randall Cobb because who knows? He could easily be the number two receiver. No, year. yeah, absolutely. So I think a risk you take with Devontae Adams is kind of his inconsistency over the first few years of his career. Um, but he is talented. I mean, there's no doubt about that. That's why he's still on the field for them and, you know, has such a high ranking this offseason. But for me, I just worry about the production. I worry about the opportunity because I don't know if it's going to be there. Um, like I do know, or I'm pretty sure I know, with Jordy Nelson. Um, but a guy I'm looking at in the same division this year who was my, I would say, biggest sleeper, you find him in the 30s, is Stefan Diggs. Um, Stephon, down. Stephon I think Diggs. it's due to injury, right? Uh, I'm not even really sure. I haven't really because he was unstoppable and healthy. He was putting up 14 catches a game, right? And, and that's the thing I love about him is in this type of offense, Sam Bradford, um, kind of the king of the, the pump and dump. I, I think Stefan Diggs is in for a, a great season this year. You look at the receptions, and I think he's the number one receiver on that team. A young team, a pretty talented offense, I think. I mean, obviously Sam Bradford is Sam Bradford, but you look at the guys around him, you know, we added Latavius Murray, Dalvin Cook. Um, I would love to see Corderell Patterson get back involved. I think Kyle Rudolph is a pretty Kyle Rudolph good is tight end to have. When healthy, also. When healthy. I mean, a lot of health concerns, but I think Stefan Diggs is a guy who might catch 120 balls this year, and I think he has the ability to kind of stretch the defense a little more this year. Um, you know, he was kind of always the king. He, he's kind of like the Michael Thomas version um, in Minnesota. Catches a lot of short passes. But I think he can be a guy like Michael Thomas who can also extend down the field and he's be a really agile. valuable fantasy receiver. Because Sam Bradford, I know, you know, the shortest pass attempt yards 
per pass, whatever, in the league. But the guy can throw the ball a little bit, and I would love to see him you know, hook up with Stephon Diggs a lot this year because I think Diggs is, is undervalued. I think he could end up being a top 10. I would say top 15 receiver this year. We'll see. Have you ever heard of leprosy? I've heard of it. I don't know what it means, though. It's a disease. Well, obviously. <laughs> and if you're a leper, there was a big thing about not wanting to be around them, how contagious they are, how brutal this disease about Brandon is. Marshall? Arguably, but I've got four receivers that are on that list for me that I would not draft and I think are just death picks this year. And those four receivers right now are DeAndre Hopkins, Sammy Watkins, and Terrell Pryor, Brendan Cooks. And I'll explain real quickly about the top two I said. I think Deshaun Watson we don't know enough about. I know that he played with Hopkins, so that could blossom into something beautiful, but it's a first-year thing. Sammy Watkins, I can't his injuries I can't trust ever. It's just it's been consistent since he's been in the league. He can't play. I, I agree with you about the injuries. Out of all those four guys, though, if I was gonna take a flyer, oh, God, Tra- I and would be Pro- with Sammy Watkins. I or Tyrod Taylor throwing him the ball. And you know, he had a good year. Tyrod Ty- I mean he's not bad, but he he's more mobile and I just the explosiveness, Sammy Watkins would be a great Pittsburgh Steeler, but that's just that's just me saying that. And then Terrell Pryor, you left what you had in Cleveland, and I understand they suck. There's nothing there for you in Cleveland, but you left where you were going to be successful. And I don't think this Kirk Cousins reign is going to be good for him. I don't think Terrell Pryor is going to put up the numbers anywhere close to what he was putting up last year. And I know that the Washington Redskins pass the ball more than any other team in the NFL. I, Pierre Garçon's there. Jordan Reed's going to suck up a lot of it. They're trying to run Kelly in the backfield. I don't, I'm don't. i not buying Terrell Pryor being in the top 20. And lastly, Brandon Cooks is just, he became a Patriot. And you can never take a Patriots wide receiver because everyone's touching the ball on different days. Their running backs have different days. Their wide receivers have different days. I mean, Julian Edelman, to me, is still the favorite guy Fun there. fact, Pierre Garçon is now a 49er. All right. So we don't even have Pierre Garçon to worry about. So you got Terrell Pryor by himself then in Washington, so it's just it's just not those are the guys that I'm avoiding. I don't trust them. I don't trust their quarterback. I don't trust their style. I'm pretty hot on like we said, Tampa Bay. And if we Deshaun Jackson, I think is my sneaky because you need uh, I need I a just, sleeper. He sounds good. He looks good. Everything seems to be great coming out of Tampa Bay camp. I'm gonna go with Deshaun Jackson as a guy. If I nab him late rounds, I he can be my starter by the end of the season. I think one of the biggest, I'll call him an uber sleeper because he's kind of been asleep for a couple of years now in this draft, is Eric Decker. Eric Decker, if you remember, a couple of years ago Great was year. kind of the one, I would say the 1B to Brandon Marshall is the 1A option in New York. Very talented receiver. How about his years with Peyton Manning also? And with Peyton Manning. Very talented receiver. Who in Tennessee this year, a new team with a Marcus Mariota, who I think, just like Jameis Winston, continues to get better, has a lot of weapons around him. Eric Decker, I think, moves into the number one spot on that team. And I think he's a guy at the end of the year, if he put up 1,200 yards and 12 touchdowns, I would not be surprised at all. I think Tennessee Titans are trending in the right direction. I think Mariota continues to get better. And it also helps that he's got, a, he's got an amazing running game behind him. I mean, DeMarco Murray, Derrick Henry... I think one of the best duos in the league. Um, this team and Mariota, they continue to improve. And I think Eric, Eric Decker is a very talented guy that when put in the right situation, I think he could catch 10 balls a game. I Easy. think it's their division to take, by the way. I mean, I the, you know the what? Colts don't... Like, that they, division is just not very good. It's pretty much garbage. The you Jacksonville Jaguars, garbage. The Texans are young, and we don't know about Deshaun Texan- Watson. I hope he's good, actually. I really do. I think it would be nice to see him and... 
Hopkins really dominate. You know what? This Texans team, I mean, they're, they're, they're an offense up. away from being the Super Bowl favorite. Exactly. But the offense being the, you being just the don't key know word there. So Deshaun, Jack, um, Deshaun Watson, if, if he does what people think he can do, um, and I know not everybody's not very high in him, you know, college success doesn't always translate, but, you know, that's a team. Unbelievable defense. He can make a run with that. Yeah. You know, a perfect example is Trent Dilfer. <laughs> Probably the worst quarterback of all time to win a Super Bowl. But he but did it with that. All you got to do is manage the you know, Ray Lewis, best defense in football. A lot of things can happen. And if J.J. Watt's healthy this entire year, Jadavian Clowney, Brian Cushing, Vince Wolfork, I mean, if Deshaun Watson can be a, a top 15 quarterback, they could be, you know, going against, going against the Patriots in the AFC Championship game. I mean, I could definitely see it with this defense. Absolutely. And... That's pretty much all we have for you guys. Our wide receiver picks, they spread across the board because whenever in doubt in a fantasy draft for me, you take a wide receiver. I don't know why. They're pl- <laughs> There's so many of them. There's so many, so many aplenty. And I appreciate what you said about Randall Cobb in terms of how he could be a great I mean, the pick. key to having basically a good fantasy team is, is finding a couple guys in the middle of late rounds who end up being all-stars because anybody can take a guy at the first pick or the, the fourth pick, but... It's the guys in the middle rounds who really make your draft, I think. Yeah, and I love how there's no Chicago Bears wide receivers in this list. But that's all the time we have this week, everybody. We beat the nail into the horse's head on the wide receiver train. I got it in. Don't think I was going to let you guys escape. Follow us on our social media, Facebook, Twitter, And go to audibletrial.com slash sporting edge. Also go to audibletrial since we left them out this time. But go to audibletrial. We'll be back next week, everybody. Have a spectacular weekend. Revolutionary Talk for Revolutionary Times. Liberty Talk FM.